0: The final entry. Never posted. It has been nearly two months since Penny Pincher threw her fit of epic proportions outside the complex containing the womb, although in the context of this diary it shall seem far more immediate. Willie Show's ultimatum had been under review by Marv for what seemed like an eternity, although by the time he had made a decision, I was already working on another session. I have been under no pretense that either Willie or I would be working on this album again. Willie made the play of someone who wanted it off without actually quitting. Ultimately, Marv made the only choice he could. He let Willie go from the project. This result was a no-brainer where the displaying of talents and clairvoyant abilities is concerned. What I'm quite certain, however, no person foresaw was the immediate hiring of Willie's replacement, Penny Pincher? I can assure you the depths of Penny's lack of qualifications to be Bitch Slap's A&R man pale in comparison to her lack of qualification to be their producer. She knows absolutely nothing about making a record, which sadly, in and of itself, doesn't necessarily disqualify her. What she lacks more than anything is the skill to keep this not-so-merry band of idiots together long enough to record a first take. Of course, in her defense, the person who does have that skill should likely be a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize, if for no other reason than the impossibility of the task. Marv wasn't too concerned with Penny's lack of qualifications, as he was negotiating hard with my manager to keep me on the project for the obvious reason that it's always best to have someone in the womb who actually knows what the fuck he's doing. I wasn't too interested in the proposals, although I was curious just how far Marv would go. In the end, none of that mattered, because Marv had recently been fired from his job as president of the label. Of course, the media was told that Marv resigned, Regardless, Marv was supplied a gazillion dollars with which to start his own label. A very nice severance package, er, I mean, resignation present, indeed. Firings of old presidents and hirings of new ones usually result in many more firings down the line, and a drastic weeding of acts from the roster. If the new president drops an act that cost the label $2 million, that act is considered one of the old president's failures. Rather than spend more money toward what is deemed a losing effort, it's better for the new regime to cut its losses by dropping the bands with little to no chance of offering large profits. It's especially important to drop those bands that have cost the label too much money, as these costs would surely be inherited by the new president. Sometimes the weeding process can take months, but as you can well imagine, it only took the new regime two days to drop bitch slap. Being dropped from a major label is a traumatic event that, for most new bands, would most assuredly end their record-making career. But Bitch Slap isn't like most bands. Within hours of being dropped, they were given another $2 million in advance money and another contract by none other than Marv Ellis himself. He, much like his successor at the parent label, also had a clean slate where spending on Bitch Slap was concerned. Penny Pincher, knowing where and how her bread is buttered, also resigned, and Marv, knowing same, immediately hired her to work for his new label. I know all this because Marv called me personally and expressed his desire for me to record Bitslap once he's gotten the label up and running, a process that could take months. I would record them, and Penny Pennypincher would produce them. I found this nothing short of amusing— given the fact that the last time I saw Penny she was flinging objects at me and yelling at the top of her lungs every bad word in the book. If I've learned nothing else in this business, I've learned this. One should never actually turn down a gig, but rather either make oneself too expensive or too unavailable. I told Marv to give me a call when he was ready to start recording, although I'm quite certain that I'll be in the middle of a long project when that call comes in. I'm sure I'll recommend a couple of engineers who I really don't like very much, as I would never offer up a friend for such a gig. Fingers remained in his hotel for more than a month after Bitch Slap was dropped. Apparently, no one told him that the sessions were over despite the fact that he was submitting weekly invoices. As is typical with major labels, they allow invoices to age. In many cases, invoices are not even reviewed by major labels until they're over 30 days old. I suspect that was the case here. I'm sure Fingers is going to have a hell of a time collecting on that. The band, as far as I know, has taken a hiatus until such time as Marv is ready to fund the recording of their first album. Yes, you read that correctly. Or heard it, in this particular case. The funding of their first album. This would make everything previous to that demos, very expensive demos. <sighs> Counting up large advances to the band. Willie shows fees, studio costs, my fees, fingers's fees, tape supplies, hard drives, couriers, rentals, sushi dinners, non-sushi dinners, film crews, cruises, psychiatrists, limousines, travel, hotel rooms, and a week in the most expensive studio in the world. I would put the costs of these particular bitch-slap demos in the vicinity of $3.5 million. I'm going out on a limb here, but that has to be some sort of world record. In the meantime, this diary is over as abruptly as it began, for there is no purpose in continuing it. As is typical in life and atypical in most creative saleable mediums, there are rarely tidy little endings that seem to make sense. Although, if you ask me, and you don't really have to ask, I hardly find this particular ending to be a surprise. The fact of the matter is, this project was on course toward implosion two years before Bitch Slap set foot in the studio. And while it's not entirely over for Bitch since they have been picked up again by Marv and his new label venture, they are all but dead. By dead, I mean they don't have a chance. If I were to have been perfectly honest with myself at the beginning of this project, I would have known they didn't have a chance, even then. And despite the bickering, the pettiness, the disdain, the assholishness, the stupidity, and the all-round lack of goodwill that goes on in the day-to-day interactions of bitch-slap, I can't help but feel sorry for them. For it's the industry that is truly to blame for this debacle. It is the industry that taught them that they don't need to become proficient at their instruments to get a record deal. That's what computers are for. It's the industry that taught them to spend their last dollar chasing Monopoly money. It's the industry that taught them it's not about the music, it's about a hit. And whoever writes the hit makes the money. It's the industry that taught them that making music isn't about fun, it's about business. It's the industry that taught each of them to be a selfish asshole for one rarely gets ahead in this business without such a trait. Although, in fairness, it seems that one rarely gets ahead in any industry without such a trait. As for me, I think that I will make some changes in my life. While I recognize my obligation to my family to provide income, I also have an obligation to both myself and my family to supply happiness. Herein lies the universal truth of this diary. No matter what you choose to do in life, regardless of your dedication to excellence or your commitment to your own sanity, you will always be at the mercy of the idiots who surround you. No matter how much you love your work, there will always be others trying to make it a chore, for they are of the ilk that believes work should actually be work. And if I may personally serve as a lesson for anything whatsoever, let it be this. Choose those who surround you carefully for it has been well established that you will always become a product of your own environment. I will continue to mix and produce for a living, although I've resigned myself to no longer offer my services as a recordist, for a multitude of reasons, both personal and professional, that I will not go into here. It seems my next session will be a mixing session with Willie's show, and while I'm sure that the mixing with Willie will be nothing short of fascinating, I have no intention of documenting those events if for no other reason. It is a term of our working together. As an alternative, I have chosen to relegate myself to the more pedestrian practice of vegging out in front of the television when I come home from work. To be perfectly honest, I will probably never document another session, certainly not in real time, for I have determined that my writings actually have a direct influence on those around me much like the scientific principle that says a watched molecule will always react differently from an unwatched one. Rise, is melting, slipping and sliding, love. I suppose I could provide you with further insights and thoughts on major labels and their ways of doing business, but quite honestly, I think this book sums that up the big question is the following. Will this diary ultimately serve as a snapshot of how things once were in the record business? Or shall it serve as a timeless expose on how things have been for many years in the record-making business? While I ask this question for you, the reader, to ponder and to possibly invoke thought, and while I should probably leave this diary at that, I am somehow inexplicably compelled to answer my own question, with a well-known and oft-overused phrase, which I am quite certain predates my own existence, let alone this question. The more things change, the more they remain the same.